The Sermon on the Mount puts salt under our tongues to make us thirsty for spiritual drink and light in our hearts to shine in a dark world. Our teacher, Dave Wurtson, invites us to consider what Jesus meant when he said, Happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Are you hungry for what's right? Are you hungry for what is right? You see, that's what it means, righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And it says, for there, for they will be filled. They'll be satisfied. All of those needs will be met. Now, when we read the word righteousness, we get hung up. And let's just, as Dr. Robinson says, let's knock out the ness and the us, and let's have just blessed are those who hunger for the right. Now, I think we all know what it means to hunger for what's wrong. You go into a video shop, I notice as you go around a video shop, you know what's really hard to find? It's really hard to find something that's right. Have you ever noticed that? Now, as believers, we get all uptight about that. Man alive, all the video shops, man alive, you go in there, you can't find anything that, that's really family. You know why you don't have that stuff? Nobody buys it. You want to watch a movie on Friday night? Go for the family entertainment. They'll be there. A lot of them will be there. You know why? Because we don't hunger. There's a part of us that doesn't hunger what's right. The movie producer realizes, man, I've got to throw just a little bit of sexual immorality in there. Because there's a hunger for that. Especially if nobody knows about it. And that's what's neat about video. Because you can do it all by your lonesome. Nobody has to know. See, when I was a kid, it was all open. You always had to go to a public place to watch, you know, something that maybe was a little bit off color. But now you don't have to go anywhere. You just sit in your home and you tell all the kids to go to bed. And at 2 o'clock, you can watch it all by yourself. And some of you know what I'm talking about. There's a hunger. I'll be honest. You know, there's a part of me that hungers that stuff. Even though that I, I'm, I just know that God's standard of a family and to raise kids in moral purity is really great, and it's exactly what God desires, and it's good, and it produces lasting results. There's an evil hunger in me that's chaotic and very, very deceptive. I think that's hungers in all of you, too. The Lord wants us to be honest about that. That's why we need to recognize we're bankrupt spiritually. You ever have ideas that just kind of creep up in your mind and say, man, alive, where did that ever come from? That's why we need to realize we're bankrupt in spirit. It's why we need to cry. But then we need to replace it. You see, you can't just sweep the house clean. You need to replace it by allowing the Lord Jesus to produce a great hunger in our life for what is right. That's the only thing that's going to work for our kids when they go away to college or a career and they're out from underneath our influence. Then they can go anywhere they want relatively. They can watch anything they want. They can listen to anything they want. What we need to be doing in our lives is learning to respond to the Savior so we hunger and thirst for right. You know why? Because that's what's going to really satisfy you. So some of the kids would say to me, some of you adults would say, why should I hunger what is right? Because rightness satisfies you. Over the long term, rightness satisfies you. 
In fact, Jesus in Matthew 6, 33 is going to put it like this. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, which gives us a good insight to what the kingdom is. It equals rightness, conforming to God's standard. It says, congratulations to those that are hungering and seeking that first because everything else will be added to them and you'll be satisfied. Jesus is saying, blessed are those who hunger and thirst to know God's standards, to apply them in their lives, most of all to know Jesus as a person because they're going to be filled. Then Jesus says this, blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. In Matthew chapter 18, the Lord tells a story. I think you'll remember. Remember the story of the, the servant of the master that owed his master an unbelievable sum, and his master threw him in jail. And somehow the servant got word out to his master. He says, oh, master, please, please, you've got to help me. So the, the servant comes before his master, and he owes just a million bucks. There's no way he could ever pay it back. And he falls down, and, he, and blessed are those who mourn. He just cries out to his master, says, Master, I'm bankrupt. There's no way. My whole family's going to be lost. My whole family's going to be in poverty and degradation because I can't pay you the million dollars. Please help me. And the master says, Servant, it's already been taken care of. It's all gone. Forget all about it. I cancel your debt. The guy jumps up. He's just thrilled to death. Man, I'm forgiven. I don't owe anybody anything. He goes outside and he sees one of his servants that owes him just a couple dollars. One of his fellow servants. And the fellow servant, you know, he sees him and he grabs him by the back of the neck and he shakes him and he says, pay me the two dollars. Well, there are a lot of other servants around. Because the servant that owned two dollars said, I don't have it right now. I'll try to get it. Please give me a little bit of time. And the servant said, I'm not going to give you any time. Give me your two dollars. The other servants that were around went to the master and told the master what happened. And Jesus tells the angry ending of the story of how the master gets the servant that he gave, forgave a million-dollar debt. And he says, if you recognize what I was really saying, you would have forgiven that $2. And now I'm going to cast you out and make you pay to the utmost farthing everything you owe, down to the smallest portion of it. Jesus loved to teach us in ways that get underneath our skin. You know what Jesus is saying to us? He's saying that if a prisoner comes into our church family after being released from prison, and we find out about his crime, you know what Jesus says? That all of us need to remember what we were forgiven. We need to remember what it costs for us to be forgiven. You know, this attitude, merciful, it's so strategic. It's the healing bomb that holds the family together. You know, I believe it's very possible that there's some families that it's not mercy that characterizes your family. It's bitterness. It's bitterness. You see, you've hurt one another. We always hurt one another in our families, and then we get angry with one another, and then it builds and it builds and it builds. And we don't let go of it. And what Jesus is pointing out, the reason we don't let go of it is because we're not responding to the vertical forgiveness that we've received in Calvary. The only way that you're going to live on this planet and not get cynical 
The only way we're going to live on this planet and not get bitter, the only way we're going to be able to face all the wrong that's all around us and not quit on it and get angry is to realize how much we've been forgiven in Jesus Christ. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. We're going to have that further develop. It's, Jesus is going to tell us some crazy things as we go on in this chapter. He's going to say, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. We understand that well. If you're on the playground, if one kid pops you in the eye, pop him right back, right? Come on, dads, isn't that what you teach your kids? Self-preservation. Sure, that's, that's a very common thing. I learned that as a kid. My parents didn't teach me. I learned it on the playground. Most effective teachers in the world, all around us, right there. Jesus is going to tell us some crazy things. He's going to say, you've heard an eye for an eye. But I say, love your enemies. Do good for those. Have you ever known, Joel asked me, Dave, do you wave at everybody while you're driving, Dad? Did you know that person? Do you know that person? Well, you know. I really try to wave. I think I picked it up in Nebraska. In New York, you don't wave. <clears throat> But in Nebraska, everybody waves. And what I found is that it's really kind of fun to see how much peripheral vision people have. But I've also found out that sometimes my peripheral vision stinks. And somebody that I really know well goes driving right on by. And if I don't wave, they say, oh, and there he is again, just thinking about himself. <laughs> so I've learned it says, greet those, even your enemies. That's what we all need to learn to do. We need to learn to give a welcome. I love how practical Jesus is because it's really healing. If somebody really gets underneath my skin, they've really, you know, they've really gotten me, maybe they've rooked me good in a business deal, there's something tremendously freeing about waving to them on the road, especially if they just keep, you know, they act like they didn't even see you. That's being the salt of the earth. And you know what? It releases you. It's a neat, neat thing. But it's hard for us to do it, isn't it? In our marriage class, Chuck Swindoll said some of the hardest words for us to say in a marriage relationship is, Honey, I'm wrong. Will you forgive me? I challenge you to try it. Look at him right in the eye and say, Right when a fight starts, they say, You need to do so-and-so and so-and-so. Why don't you do so-and-so and so-and-so? And instead of going, well, you don't know all the pressure I'm under. You don't know all that I'm facing. I don't have time to do that. Just say, you're right. That's right. I should have done it. Let's do it. I'll do it right now. Husbands, try it. Catch your wife when she faints dead away. <laughs> That's what it means to be merciful. Oh, it's a lot easier way to live. Blessed are those who are merciful. And you can do that. You can be forgiving. You can be at ease because of how much God has forgiven you. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. The pure in heart is a great Hebrew idea. Blessed are those who are true blue, who are complete all the way down to the fabric of their being. And that's one of the most precious things in many of your lives. Over many, many years, we've been able to share integrity together. We've jumped on one another. We've, we've hurt one another. We've had to say, I'm sorry. We've had to keep building relationships. Boy, it's hard to do that. You ever get tired of that? We all do, don't we? But you know what Jesus is saying? Blessed are those who are not double-minded. Blessed are those who aren't in the kingdom of God one week and in the kingdom of the world the next. Back and forth in their attitudes. Blessed are those who have 
integrity. You know, I believe that that's the most important thing that we can have in a pastoral ministry is just to be ourselves. One of the things that Mary and I have really tried to be in Midlothian Bible Church is what you see is what you get. This is what we are. And that's why Mary one day, after John died, just stood up and said, I don't believe that God is alive very much today. Because that's what she was honestly feeling. When you lose your brother early, you feel like that. That's integrity. I know a lot of pastors' wives, they sit up here. I can always tell them when I'm a guest speaker. I've got my nice three-piece suit on. The wife always sits pretty close to the front. And she always has her nice little dress on. She always has her hands folded. You know, I can, I can pick them out. I look over the audience if the, if the pastor hasn't introduced her, and I can always find her. There she is. And she's always just, just so. And you know, I've had a lot of those precious wives after we've been maybe a couple days in a seminar in a church or something. You're in their home. And that precious wife will just share, I can never be myself. And it's killing me. I always feel I have to try to measure up. I always feel I have to win everybody's approval and there's no way you can do it. And Jesus is saying, blessed are those who are just fully from the depths of their heart committed to the Lord, which means that they're real, they're honest, they're themselves. But that honesty is directed towards, I want to be what the Lord Jesus wants me to be. Please don't be deceptive. If you have a drinking problem, this is a great place to find healing. Don't condemn that person. We need to be the place where they find counsel, where they find help, where they find the information. That's what it means to have integrity. If you're having a drinking problem, the first step to getting over it is having integrity. It's admitting, I've got it. Help me. It's that way with every kind of a problem. Sexual problem, stealing, lying, all those works of the flesh, we begin to overcome them by having integrity, by admitting it. Not that we stand up on Sunday morning and admit it, but we share it with some older believers that can sustain us, that can help us. That's what Jesus is talking about. Blessed are those who are wholeheartedly committed to the kingdom. They have integrity. I want you to pray that we'll have that. I don't believe it gets easier to have integrity. It was a lot easier for me when I was younger to have integrity. It's just a crazy thing about growing older. You tend to get more cunning, I think, and more deceptive, especially with yourself. We all need to pray for one another. Blessed are those who are pure in their hearts. It also has an idea of moral purity through and through, and oh, how the church of God needs to hear that today. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who bring the messianic message of peace. And this, this idea of being a peacemaker is not a nonchalant, you know, bearing with it. You know, I'm going to bear with it. I don't want there to be arguments. I don't want there to be fights. I just go along. That's not what a peacemaker is. Jesus was a peacemaker when he cast the money changers out of the temple because he was the prince of peace and he was bringing peace to his temple instead of the chaotic buying and selling, the materialism that was all around. That's what it means to be a peacemaker. He was a peacemaker on the cross of Calvary most of all. When the criminals were cursing him, he didn't revile, he didn't insult back. He actively pursued our redemption. 
It says that the name of the Messiah is Wonderful Counselor, the Prince of Peace. We need to follow that prince in bringing peace into the world. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you. This is the kind of persecution, this is the kind of reality that will come against us if we live like we've been sharing. We're going to have people insult us. Begins with the words. We're going to have people persecute us. That could involve some physical injury in many parts of the world. Also, we're going to have false things said about us. All kinds of evil against you because of me. And then Jesus says something really strange. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, I want to be honest with you. You're going to be persecuted no matter what you do. You're going to be insulted. You're going to be slandered no matter what you do. But if you join the kingdom of God, you're guaranteed to face it. And the reason that's so is that you're just out of kilter with everybody else around you. So you are going to go to work and you're going to be insulted because of your stand for Christ. Now, Peter tells us to be very careful that we shouldn't be persecuted because of laziness, because of, of unrighteousness, because we stole something or because we're not a good worker. But he says that we should rejoice if we're persecuted for what is right. And that's a very powerful idea. One of the hardest things that I've ever faced is when somebody not insults me. That's really not too bad. But when somebody slanders, you know what slander is? You know what the difference between gossip and slander is? Gossip is when you tell the truth about somebody behind your back, behind their back. But it's a truth that not that person doesn't really need to know. Gossip is someone that's a busybody. They're always going around telling the wrong things, but they tell the truth. What they say is true. Now that's bad, but slander's worse. Slander is when you talk about somebody behind their back, and it's a lie. Slander is when all over town it goes, do you know that so-and-so and so-and-so are having an affair because I saw their car over at such-and-such such a time, or they were at the Wakahatchee Park at such-and-such such a time. Slander is when it's not true. And that really hurts, doesn't it? You know what happened? You know what's going to happen? If you're a born-again believer, you're going to get slandered. You know, the funny thing about me, what I've found is in the ministry that a lot of times these things will happen and I'll get really uptight about it. I'll say, Lord, man, I'm going to opt out of this. Man, let's get out of the church. Man, I can't believe the things that happen. The Lord kind of says, gives me a hug and he says, hey, Dave, read what my word says. Have you ever listened to the way that people talked about me? And Jesus will kind of put his arm around me and he'll say, hey, Dave, has anybody ever called you illegitimate? Has anybody ever come up to you and, and, and said, you're just an illegitimate kid? And I have to say, no, they're always telling me I'm Wordson's kid. In most circles, that, you know, is really a neat thing. And most of my life, it's brought a lot of real neat things. And the Lord will say, well, cheer up a little bit. That's what they called me. And then he'll kind of put his arm around a little bit more and say, hey, did they ever call you a drunk? I said, no, they never did. I said, well, that's what they used to call me. They thought I was a drunk. Because I went to parties. And then I'll say, Dave, have you resisted to the point of blood yet? Have I ever asked you to give your life? I say, well, a couple times I thought you were. But he says, no. I say, no, I haven't. He says, well, Dave, I'm a very realistic daddy. And in my word, I tell you just exactly what it's going to be. 
but my kingdom's worth it. Because all of those insults, all the persecution, all the slander that all of us have to put up with as believers, one day is going to be dealt with in perfect justice and righteousness before our Heavenly Father. When I was young and I heard about persecution, it used to really wipe me out. Who wants to be persecuted? Well, Jesus isn't saying, well, just delight in being persecuted. Run into a situation where you're going to get stoned. No, don't do that. But what it's saying is that the cause of Christ is so great, standing up for right within a community, Jesus is saying, blessed are you. You're approved of your Heavenly Father. If you get insulted, if you get slandered, you can be pretty sure you're on the right team because the enemy is firing. And that's when Jesus concludes with a mission. He says, I want you to be the salt of the earth. If you lose your saltiness, you're not good for anything. You say, well, Dave, sodium chloride can't lose its saltiness. In the ancient world, it could because it wasn't pure sodium chloride. It was several other minerals, and you could leach out the sodium chloride because it's very soluble in water, so you could end up with a lump that was good for nothing. And Jesus says, don't let the salt be leached out of your life. Don't lose these characteristics. Allow the Spirit of God to generate them. And then he says, let your light shine. You know what I'd like us to really pray? I'd like us to pray that we would become the salt and light mission throughout this entire area. You see, a lot of people say, well, how do you build the kingdom of God? I don't really build the kingdom of God. I'm just a small part of it. You say, well, no, we really appreciate your teaching ministry. You're really having an impact. No, I'm not. The average guy at Chaparral Steel, he wouldn't listen to me in a million years. He, I'm, an, I'm another preacher. I start from below zero with a guy like that. You know who's the real salt and light for them? You. When you take these kingdom principles into the office and into the plane. You get a preacher on a committee, and the preacher raises his hand for morality. Oh, yeah, here he goes again, the preacher, Jerry Falwell. It's second cousin. Here we go again. You do it. And all of a sudden, everything changes gears. Because here's just an everyday normal person that's not really that weird, hasn't had the calling. And yet they're kingdom kids, kingdom children. You know, I covet that. I covet that the Lord will help us. He says, listen, we are the light of the world. We have the words of a master which can bring the kingdom of God into human hearts. Let's not put it under a bushel.